0: As the Russian invasion of Ukraine continues, many are wondering what the future holds for Russian President Vladimir Putin. Some are saying this invasion will be his downfall. Whether it is or not, there will one day eventually be a time when he is no longer in power. And what would that mean for Russia? Is there a successor to Putin waiting in the wings? And what do the Russian people want out of their government? For this conversation, we caught up with Dr. Artemy Kalinovsky. He is a professor of Russian, Soviet, and post-Soviet studies at temple university so to start a lot of our conversation is going to be looking into the the future and and possibilities but i'm curious as someone who studies this who understands the russian state is this invasion of ukraine do you think there is a possibility this could one way or another lead to the end of putin's hold on power in russia I'm not too optimistic about that. Honestly,
1: I mean, one one, you know, one day there will be no more Vladimir Putin, uh, or at least there won't be any more President Vladimir Putin. Um, You know, I don't think that that's going to happen as a result of the war, if anything, you know, looking out um, from the situation now, I would say that it's probably less likely um, that he's going to be pushed out of power than it was before the invasion. And the reason I say that is not because the invasions made him more popular, but actually because I think the elites on whom he counts to kind of keep him in power and who need him to manage the state, keep people in line, negotiate between the different groups in the elite, are more dependent on him than ever. Right. And that's that's partially just, you know, the kind of situation that he's put the country in, but it's also partially just. know the reality of the international situation after the war which is that russia is more isolated Um, economically it is in a much more precarious place but that also means of course that um, you know he's going to do what he needs to do to keep the elites happy that is the elites that support him happy so the heads of the security services the loyal oligarchs um, the price of disloyalty has become much higher than it was 34 days ago Um, But the need to stay loyal um, or the benefits of staying loyal are now, you know, the relative benefits of staying loyal are that much higher. Combine that with the fact that, you know, some of these sanctions are personal, right? They target individuals. We're talking seriously about uh, war crimes, right? We're investigating war crimes. Anybody in the security elite could become the target of those investigations. So these people are now bound to each other and bound to Putin in a way that they weren't. Even 34 days ago. And I think that's significant. So the chances that they are going to conspire to um, remove him, I think, is small because what does the day after look like for them? You know, best case scenario in that situation is that they have a successor on whom they agree, who is going to allow them to keep their privileges and their power and satisfy their own needs for recognition, that is, their sense that they're working in the service of a great power, however important that is to them, Uh, but also uh, somebody who's going to negotiate an end to the current standoff with uh, NATO and other US allies. And that's a very tricky thing to pull off, right? In in this situation where all of them are all individually targeted, we saw after, and this is obviously a very different situation now, but after the death of Joseph Stalin, you know, all the elites around them, all all of the um, kind of senior party members started scrambling to succeed him. And they first thought that they could kind of rule collectively. Uh, They all thought that Stalin had brought the USSR to a level of irresponsible confrontation with the United States and Europe. But as soon as one of them made a move to try to uh, mitigate those those tensions, uh, he was immediately kind of arrested and charged with you know, portraying the motherland. There were other reasons that they wanted to get rid of him. I'm talking about his spy chief, of Beria, his internal security chief, of Baria, who was responsible for a lot of the terror and so forth. So there were other reasons they wanted to get rid of him, but that was quickly used against them. So, you know, again, main point, uh, I think the chances that Putin gets overthrown after this is small and the chances that whoever follows him then does a kind of radical turnaround in terms of domestic or international policy are equally small, unfortunately.
0: To that point, are there any names, and whether it's now, whether it's natural death in five years, you know, like you said at the outset, eventually Vladimir Putin's not going to be here. Are there any names that are out there that are kind of the, I don't know if next generation, but most likely to succeed an ally of Putin who would easily ascend? Uh, you know, I think we all know the name Alexander Navalny is the opposition leader, but you know, I don't think that doesn't seem realistic in any frame of mind. So are there any names in in that circle that could emerge to the top? It's very hard to say,
1: and especially you know the situation being what it is now. I mean, you know, for a while, some people would name um, the Minister of Defense Sige Shoigu, well, Shoigu hasn't been very visible lately, and uh, you can see why, right? His military is not performing very well. There's all sorts of speculation about the levels of corruption. Uh, in the military procurement that he's overseen, right? So all of this investment in modernizing uh, the Russian military over the last decade doesn't seem to have paid off very well. Well, you know, and and also making it a professional military. Well, who's to blame for that? It's the minister of defense. So you can't really imagine him as a successor anymore. Um, You know, I guess constitutionally, if this was a kind of sudden death or disappearance situation, it would be his prime minister, but he doesn't seem to be a very strong political figure. His former prime minister, at one time successor, one time the hope of liberals in in Russia as a kind of reformer, uh, Dmitry Medvedev. I mean, he's been, I think, largely discredited as a political figure and has, um, you know, it, it's hard to see him reemerging again. So I, I couldn't really speculate on who might really kind of emerge out of this.
0: To that point, how much of it could be a watch what you wish for situation? because of the fact that there is no real chain, there is not a successor in waiting. Uh, As much as we're concerned about this conflict and the worry of escalation in nuclear weapons, it's not much more comforting to have chaos at the top of the government of a nuclear power like this. So what would be your concerns in a situation like that where chaos could reign?
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried about chaos necessarily because, again, you know, I'm a historian, so I'm always looking to kind of historical examples that might shed some light on this, you know, while also recognizing that every situation, you know, has its own particularities and might be a little bit unpredictable. But if we look around this kind of former Soviet Union, um, what you tend to see are actually scenarios where the elite makes a point of quickly coalescing around somebody that they find acceptable. If you look at Turkmenistan, uh, where uh, the post-Soviet dictator, Niyazov died. In that case, there was a kind of dark horse, right? It was the former minister of health um, that, you know, presumably um, others uh, close to the top felt that they could manipulate, right? That he wouldn't dominate them. Now, turned out different, right? He built his own cult of personality and, and now just passed uh, power to his son. Uh, the current president of Tajikistan um, also emerged in the kind of civil war scenario Uh, after serving only, you know, he was the chairman of a collective farm and then served some kind of regional um, administrative posts and kind of was selected in a similar way as a compromise candidate. It's built a 30 years of running uh, personal dictatorship um, almost uh, approaching 30 years. So I think that's the more likely scenario. I don't think it's chaos. I think the scenario, you know, it's one of two possibilities. One uh, is that uh, it goes to somebody who is a kind of, You know, reincarnation of Putin. Right. So similar kind of figure, uh, you know, uh, roots in the security services, commitment to uh, Russian greatness and so on. Or it's a dark horse. Right. So it's somebody who right now seems like a minor figure um, who is expected to kind of hold the fort. While the elites figure out what they're going to do next, um, and then either that happens or that person consolidates power around themselves. In terms of what I would fear, in terms of being worse than the current situation, is you know I've always said um, the one nice thing I can say about Putin is that he's not an ethnic nationalist, right? So his his version of Russian nationalism has never been about ethnic Russians over other peoples in the Russian Federation. Remember, you know ethnic Russians are one group uh, out of many. Uh, it's the russian federation is still a very big and very diverse place and putin's version of nationalism has always i mean he's he's appealed to kind of a russian history with with the russians being the kind of leading uh leading group but at the same time it's been a version of nationalism that's been more civic more organized around the state and the groups within it you know there are people in the russian political elite who are ethnic nationalists right for them it's Ethnic Russians above everybody else, uh, and that that would be a scarier scenario, first and foremost, for people in Russia, uh, for non ethnic Russian Russians, non ethnic Russians who are Russian citizens, citizens of the Russian Federation. That, for me, is one kind of version of scarier uh, scenario right now. Um, but again, this is this is all speculation. And I, I think the more likely scenario is a kind of compromise uh, candidate to to hold the fort.
0: I'm curious, the Russian people, so much of this discussion is kind of framed through the rest of the world towards Russia and what they, their expectations and their hopes are. What do the Russian people expect out of their government? Because I imagine if you're someone who's in your 50s, you've seen communism collapse, you saw democracy that, at least to me as a layman, and obviously, please correct me, but quickly developed devolved into a kleptocracy where the, the rich people that's why you have oligarchs they grabbed everything you know and sold it for parts uh and the last couple of decades uh you've had the rule of Vladimir Putin which is quickly or kind of systematically devolved into authoritarianism what is the expectation of the average Russian of their government do they want better do they care do they what where do they fall
1: I, I think first of all I think you've got the big picture absolutely right and and I think Again, it's very hard to say because it's a very, very big country uh, and a very diverse country. So, you know, let's start with this question of generations, right? Because you said somebody who's 50 has experienced the following things. You're absolutely right. Somebody who's 50 would have kind of become an adult right around the time the Soviet Union was undergoing democratic reforms, then the Soviet Union collapsed. It was a period of great hope, but also immense hardship, right? I mean, the economy really collapsing in the 1990s, and out of that... What does what you know, what emerges out of that? Well, a very kind of partial democracy on the one hand, but also finally in the 2000s, economic growth and a level of prosperity, um, which is guaranteed by this semi authoritarian regime that still allows you to feel like you're living in a more or less democratic society where, you know, you've got a more or less free press, especially outside of television. You know, you can travel as much as you want. You can pretty much save whatever you want. You can even go to an occasional protest and and not worry too much about getting in trouble. And that's what you get through roughly 2012, 2014. And even after that, to a large extent, uh, although protesting becomes a much more dangerous activity and, and, um, you know, the the press is is under increasing pressure. Still, you kind of get that until February 24th, uh, 2022. Right. And then that social contract is exploded. Right. And this is what I think, you know, is so hard to understand about what happened in Putin's mind in the last few months. That he didn't, you know, it's not just that he took a risk with Ukraine, but he really up he exploded the entire social contract that had been kind of the basis of his power, which is, you know, we limit the kind of room for uh political resistance political dissent uh we um but we leave some space for you to say what you want more importantly um you know we guarantee a kind of level of individual freedom in terms of your freedom to move around go on vacations read and write whatever it is uh plus a certain level of um economic stability and growth right which has been uneven but is For somebody who, again, would be around 50 years old today, would be orders of magnitude better than what they've lived through in the 1990s. And he's blown that up on every front, right? Because the economic stability is largely, yeah, very questionable right now. I mean, there's noticeable drops in standard of living just in the last month in terms of what's available, in terms of what you can buy. Um, And, you know, just today, the last kind of... um, independent newspaper effectively shut down, right? So that's all gone. I think somebody who's in their 50s and 60s, and again, this is an enormous generalization even for those people, right? But who lived through that period of the 1990s and the disappointments, were willing to put up with a lot of what Putin was doing in part because they had the 90s as their reference point. You know, that was a kind of democracy, but it was already a sham democracy then. So we don't like what's going on now maybe, but we can live with this. For people who are younger, for people who are born in the mid '90s, whose kind of conscious life already begins in the 2000s, a period of relative economic stability and growth, for many of them, Putin was not acceptable, right? And that's why you see these protests starting in, you know, around 2012, uh, where these, uh, you know, very much it's these younger people who are really taken to the streets and risking increasingly risking arrest, being arrested, um, but who unfortunately are now fleeing Russia uh, in the tens of thousands. Um, so that's, you know, to say something about different levels of kind of expectations. There are also people who, you know, it gives them a sense of validation to feel like they're part of a great civilizational project and facing off against the West and so forth. And those people, you know, they, they see Putin as defending those interests. And, and they, you know, that, that gives them, you know, just like we have in this country. Right. There's people who respond to that kind of messaging. Um, you know, there's people who would rather uh, live in a world where they don't have to think about politics at all. So it's very hard to say what what people expect, but I think you're right in the sense that there is generally, especially among people who are a little bit older, a kind of cynicism about the whole idea of democratization, and therefore also a certain level of cynicism about, you know, the people who have come to oppose Putin in recent years, whether that's the Nevada or somebody else. Because again, the experience of the 1990s suggests, uh, you know, yeah, you'll you'll get the chaos and drop-up standard delivery without any real voice uh, in what's going on.
0: What do you think? the future of Russia looks like just in general? Is it depressing? Is it, could it possibly be hopeful once they, if there is a change or is it just too muddy to picture to really have any kind of uh, coherent thought on?
1: Well, you know, Russians say hope dies last, but, um, I think, uh, at this moment, it's very hard to have hope certainly for the kind of immediate future. um, just because of the damage that's been done, um, particularly, uh, you know, in the last, I mean, in the last decade, in terms of the growth of the security apparatus and, um, you know, all the ways that it's it's been set up to um, interfere in, in, in people's lives. I mean, these things aren't just gonna melt away the day after Putin dies, right? Um, there's, there's this immense apparatus that's set up to, keep people in mind and, and, you know, the people in the apparatus, all else aside, these people in the apparatus are going to want to keep their jobs. They're going to to want to stay relevant. Um, That's one lesson of the early 1990s, right? When it's the last time that you actually had an attempt to kind of weaken uh, the security apparatus of the post-Soviet state. Um, So that's one thing. I mean, the other thing is, of course, you know, um, these, the, the sanctions are, and you know, Putin, I, I don't want to say Putin has brought this upon himself because Putin has brought this on, uh, on his whole country. Um, but this, the sanctions are having a really strong um, effect um, in the sense of, you know, making life much harder for people uh, in terms of, I think, um, you know, setting setting Russian economic development back um, in terms of also affecting the broader region. And there we don't even know the consequences yet. Right. I mean, um you know, the sanctions aren't just affecting Russia, right? You think about um, people in Central Asia who are very, you know, economically integrated with Russia, both in terms of uh, people who go to Russia and work uh, and send money uh, back to their countries, to Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan especially, but also Uzbekistan, uh, and also the trade and agricultural goods and other things that moves between those countries. They're, they're being devastated right now by this. It's, it's hard to imagine kind of in the intermediate, term, five or 10 years, um, you know, a real kind of uh, improvement, you know, or even s- snapping back to a situation like, you know, fall 2021, which would already be an enormous improvement actually over where Russia is right now.
0: How big a concern? You mentioned the younger Russians that are fleeing by the thousands. That does not bode well for any country when you're losing that generation. And chances are, if they're fleeing, that's the generation that is the most connected, the most uh, the the most educated, you know, not even the elites, but just the, the ones that would make things go in the future. And that would seem to be a a heavy cost that the country, whoever's in charge, is going to have to uh, bear down the road.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the people who are leaving. Um, and by the way, this, you know, Nova um, Gazeta, which shut down today, had done some really great reporting and interviews, long form interviews with uh, with some of these people. I mean, you know, as always, the people who these are people who have a certain amount of privilege, right? They had enough money to go, um, but they also went in part because they had jobs that they could do from abroad. A lot of them already worked for, you know, um, international companies. They've been working from home during Corona in some cases. Uh, These are IT people. These are programmers. These are web designers um so on and so forth so yeah i mean this is this is uh this is not great for russia's economic outlook um going forward um you know but it's also clear that to some extent putin prefers it this way right these are also the troublemakers these are people who went to protest right i mean one of the kind of laws that was put in basically said you know first time you're caught at a protest that you're not supposed to be at you get a fine and then it kind of escalates in terms of your imprisonment right so uh, for many of these people uh many of these people went to a protest against the war narrowly escaped getting locked up or did get locked up and and basically decided I've had enough, right? And I'm leaving. So Putin and Putin said this pretty much openly, right? He doesn't want these troublemakers around, right? It's going to be a lot easier to uh, keep order uh, without them being around. But yeah, you're right. I mean, for for economic development, it's tough saying.
0: And mentioned in passing Alexei Navalny, the opposition leader who obviously is very popular in the West, uh, but is in prison now in a world Putin? And I don't even know if I mean like a role for him, but is there a path where he becomes more than just kind of a a figure for uh inspiration for those that oppose Putin? Could we see a, a path where he is playing a role, if, if not at the top of a government, but at least in a serious party and, and stuff like that? Sure. I mean, again, it's pure speculation at this point, but
1: despite all the kind of pessimistic scenarios that I just laid out, right? We know from situations in history where you have a regime, an oppressive regime that seems like it's gonna you know, last forever and then it disappears virtually overnight, right? I mean, think of the Shah of Iran, right, in 1978, where, you know, beginning of the year, it's going to, it looks like there's nothing that's ever gonna get rid of him and then by, by the end of the year, he's gone. That could happen, right? And then um, who gets to compete in politics? Right? Where it's not just the person that's gone, but it's really the regime that starts collapsing, right? Or let's say the elites that um, are left in power basically realize they don't have enough legitimacy on their own. They need to open up some space uh, for political uh, contestation, which is kind of the way that um, the communist regimes in Eastern Europe gave way to their successors, right? They didn't actually think of giving up power. They kind of just wanted to create a space for others so they could be more legitimate, it didn't work out anyway. Let's say something like that happens. Well, who right now has the greatest name, uh, name recognition? It's Navalny. Um, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think if we were to end up in that kind of scenario where um, there is some real uh, political contestation, I don't want to say democracy because I think we're very long away from there. Yeah, absolutely. I could imagine Navalny, You know, they release him from prison. They basically say, fine, go have your political party, um, yeah. I think so. I think there's not a lot of other figures like that around anymore.
0: That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.